All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you here today. My name is John, and uh, it is just a blast having you all here. I told the folks at the first service this. I said to every single one of them, I look forward to Sundays. Do you look forward to Sundays? I really do. Like, it gets to be Monday. I'm like, I'm already looking forward to the next week. I know that may not be the mentality um, of all of us when we think about church. Like, oh, I got to drag myself out of bed. I am so stoked every single week to be with you. It is my favorite day of the week because we get to be together as family and, and worship God. So I'm excited about that. It is good to be uh, together today, and I pray that you're enjoying your summers, whatever that's entailed for you. As I encouraged you last week, I just want to give you a, a, a gentle little, little challenge, a little, little nudge in the back to, to remind you uh, to be human beings this summer, not just human Doings. I know there's that tendency in summer to go, go, go and do trips and vacations and run around and do all these things. And sometimes it's okay to just be, isn't it? Because we're human beings and God calls us to rest and relax and just to be faithful in, in who he's called us to be. And so I want to encourage you uh, to do that, to not just be so focused on everything that I can accomplish, but maybe God just wants to accomplish some things inside of you this summer. We've been asking some of those questions. We started a brand new sermon series uh, here last week called Since You Asked. And we've been wrestling with some of those bigger questions of life as well as just some really practical questions uh, about faith. And it's funny, we talked about this a little bit last week, is that often our questions and our doubts and our fears in the church, rather than being lifted up, kind of get squashed, right? We think that somehow the doubt is is a really bad thing, and that somehow if, if I have questions about God or if I'm still wrestling through things in my faith, well, maybe I'm not praying hard enough. Maybe, maybe I don't have enough faith, and some of those, those things start to go through our heads, and yet the more we understand about this incredible God that we serve, we understand that he is not phased one bit by any of your doubts. He's not phased one bit by any of your questions, and, and we think, oh, I wouldn't be welcome. God says, bring it on. <laughs> He can handle it. He's the God of the universe. And if you had everything figured out, then that would mean that you were God and that would be a very scary, bad thing, right? Because I don't want any of us to be God. There's only one God and he knows what he's doing and he's in control. In fact, a healthy faith is a lot like a game of Jeopardy. There's just a lot of questions, right? And sometimes there's answers and sometimes there's not. And we don't live in the questions just so we can live in ambiguity. We ask questions so that we can keep on asking, and keep on knocking, and keep on seeking, because God promises that when we do that, we will be found by him. We'll be found by him, and and what we'll find is not always the answer, but what we'll find is him and his heart. And sometimes that's even better and even truer and even deeper than finding the answer we thought that we needed. And of all the questions that we ask, there's lots of questions in life. You might be thinking, man, when is he going to be done preaching? I need to get to my lunch appointment. You know, there's lots of questions we ask in life. Of all the questions that we ask, though, maybe the most difficult are the ones that don't have answers. Those deep questions about faith and life that we wrestle with, and that brings us to our theme for today. Our question for today is simply this, where is God when life hurts? Where is God when we hurt? And I'm not just talking about, oh, I stubbed my toe, I hurt. I'm wearing some new shoes today, and it's rubbing off the back of my heel, and so I had to Go at our first aid kit. I'm not talking about that kind of hurting, right? I'm talking about something deeper. I'm talking about real pain, real anger, real hurt, real sickness, real disease. In fact, in that video that you saw at the very beginning, that wasn't just some random female actor. That was Deanna Thompson. She's the daughter of one of our pastors. 
at Hope, Merv Thompson. She is an accomplished author, uh, religion professor at Hamlin University, and three years ago she was diagnosed with an extreme, uh, way-developed form of cancer. And it's shifted her entire life, it's her, shifted her whole career, what she thought was important in life, and her view of God. And so some of you might be sitting there thinking this morning, oh man, I had to come on the Sunday where the pastor is just going to talk about pain and despair. I'm okay. I'm doing okay. You might be saying, nothing's terrible in my life. My heart's still beating, I think. I'm not dying. Everything's good. So maybe this sermon isn't for me. Okay, so before you go writing that off, I want to just take a quick poll to get us all on the same page here. And there's just one response that I need from you. I'm just going to read off some different situations and scenarios. And if that's you... I just need you to respond nice and loud, that's me. Let's just practice that once. Everybody together, that's me. me. All right, it's going to be a good group here this morning. So if it's not you, then don't lie because you're at church and don't do that. Um, But if it is you, just say, that's me. I myself, a friend or family member, has struggled with an illness or sickness that just doesn't seem to heal. At some point in my life, I've had somebody close to me die. At some point in my life, myself or a person I know has sometimes wondered, does prayer really work? When a tragedy, I see that a tragedy or disaster has occurred in our world, I've often found myself asking, where's God in all of this? That's me. That's all of us. So it turns out that all of us have more in common about this theme, this question today, than we thought. So just kind of give a little nudge to the person next to you and say, hey, neighbor, we're all in this together. Just tell them, we're all in this together. Say it like you mean it. Let's do that again. Come on, give them a little elbow. Wake them up. We're all in this together. Okay, good. Don't go to sleep on me. All right. If you responded to any of those situations, you're, you're certainly not alone, not with, certainly not with the people in this room. Every single one of us has a story that we could probably share, and you're certainly not alone with the people that are in that Bible that you hold in front of you today. Because all throughout history, all throughout God's story, people have been wrestling with those same questions, and we get a lot of that in this wonderful book called the Psalms. Coming from great Bible heroes that we lift up like David, and they end up getting really, really vulnerable with us. In fact, let's look at Psalm 22, verses 1 to 2 up on the screen. This is a great man of God, David, who you think, he's got it all together. Maybe not. Let's read that together. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. That doesn't sound like somebody that has their life all pulled together. (laughs) Doesn't sound like somebody that has all their question answers. Instead, I think we often, we lift up these great Bible heroes because we think they have it all figured out, when maybe we should lift them up on that pedestal as great Bible heroes because they have the guts and the courage to admit, I don't have it all figured out, right? Maybe that should be the standard of maturity of our faith. Not, I'm strong, independent adult, I have it all put together, but sometimes life is like that, isn't it? Why is life so difficult? God, where are you? Why am I going through this situation in my life? Certainly, we've all asked those questions. Psalms are written by men like David who weren't afraid to be vulnerable. And experience tells me that as Christians, when we experience pain or hurt or difficulty or we experience a prayer that might go unanswered in our lives, we have a couple usual responses, and they're both kind of dangerous. 
One is that we grow angry and we grow bitter. And we say, I'm tired of praying about this. God, I'm tired of waiting on you for whatever I've been waiting on you for. God, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of unanswered prayer. I'm tired of this illness, this sickness. I, I can't believe you let that happen to this person. And we grow angry and we go bitter. And the problem with that is that we end up being just as empty as we were when we started. The other danger that I think is just as bad is that sometimes unintentionally, we as Christians, we start to play God. And what I mean by that is because we don't have any specific answers. Why, why did people die in the tornado? Why was there that school shooting? Why did so-and-so pass away? We start making up all these answers and we kind of play God or like the junior Holy Spirit, right? We're like the junior varsity Holy Spirit, right? And we start to just spout off all these answers because we think that they're comforting to people, but really they're nowhere to be found in God's word. I don't know if you've ever found yourself or heard people say, you know, things, we make claims like, oh, God needed them in heaven more than we needed them here. You must not be praying hard enough. Whoa. Yeah, God doesn't like that. (laughs) You might not be praying hard enough. Or worst case scenario, you must have done something to deserve that. Oh please never say anything like that because it's not true because it's nowhere in God's word. And I know that it's well-intentioned and I know that we're trying to offer comfort and compassion, but sometimes when we're going through hurt and pain in our lives, and you can attest to this if you've ever been on the receiving end of it, you don't need people to fix you. And the most comforting thing that you can give to people sometimes is not made up answers about why you think God did what God did or didn't do. The best thing that you can do is listen be there with them, be fully present, and tell them what you know about who God is, that he loves them, that he's faithful, that you can trust him, that he's in control. Those things we know, that has scriptural support. All those other funny little claims that we try to make, don't. And the problem is when we say things like that, we try to make God who we want him to be so we can control him and figure him out rather than just letting God be who he is. The God who says to you today, I am. I am, because God's word tells a much different story. If we start reading those psalms a little bit deeper, it doesn't end with, God, why have you forsaken me? Almost every single psalm of lament goes something like this. Psalm 42, verse 11, for example. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He's in despair. He's at the end of his rope. But then right after that, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It goes on, Psalm 88. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles. Bad day. Really bad day. You ever been overwhelmed with troubles? Very next verse. Like, that's the end of one chapter, going into the next chapter. The very beginning of the next chapter. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever with my mouth. I will make your faithfulness known throughout all generations. What in the world is going on here? I thought you were in the valley of despair, and now you're praising the Lord for his love endures forever. Is that possible? Can we worship God even when we didn't have a great week? Is God still worthy of our praise when we're in the pit? Maybe the psalmist knows something that we don't know. That the presence of pain does not equal the absence of God. 
The presence of pain does not equal the absence of God. In fact, quite the opposite. That sometimes we experience God most deeply right in the middle of it. I'm not saying that God wills that or he wants that to happen just so I can teach you a lesson. He might. But look ahead. Look to what God is trying to do in your life. In fact, I know that there's many of you that have a story. There's many of you that have experienced that in a very real way. When you were at the end of your rope, when you had nothing left and you discovered God was all you had, it kind of starts to put things in perspective, doesn't it? Maybe I was finding my identity in that. Maybe I was putting my hope in this. Instead of, if God is all I have, then maybe I'll discover he's all I really need. And there's lots of stories out there, and instead of me trying to tell you all about that, I want to share a personal story today through my friend Carter. So Carter, uh, if you could come on up. Everybody say, hello, Carter. Give him a round of applause for coming up here, too. You can just grab this one right here. Um, One of the things that we love to do at Hope is to share Hope stories. And I can tell you all about it. You might have to kind of scoot back a little bit. I can tell you all about it, or I can have Carter share his story with you. I guess we don't have enough slack there. There we go. Um, You may recognize Carter from being the young strapping gentleman that plays the guitar over here. Right? The token old guy. Nobody, was, right? no, nobody oh, was phased yeah. at that. Yeah. Um, but uh, Carter and his wife, Pat, have been a part of our, our family here, church family at Hope Des Moines for a long time. And uh, they, they have an incredible story. And I think it really relates to this theme of, of finding God and the messiness and the, and the brokenness of life. And so before we get into that, Carter, maybe just share really briefly um, about your relationship with Pat and just kind of how you guys came to Hope and how you got started okay. originally. Well, Pat and I uh, actually met, on a, we were on a committee at a church, we were writing curriculum for the Sunday school, and so we were working together, and of course, somebody put us on that committee <laughs> on purpose, we didn't realize it at the time, but so we had a, a good working relationship, and then one day, I, she brought me a piece of pie, she said, I baked it for these kids over here, and I had some leftovers well, the, after that, you know, <laughs> she had me at first bite, but... <laughs> Uh, we dated for a while, and we got married. We've been married 37 years. Praise and, God. Uh, That's awesome. Much to Pat's credit. <laughs> but, you know, we, um, we were at a point where we were kind of looking for a church that uh, we could get involved in. And we'd heard that at Wells Fargo they had this big Easter service. You know, Hope did. So we thought it sounded like something interesting, so we went to it. Could not believe the crowd. And we were really moved that night, or that morning, because, first of all, Pastor Mike had a great message, but it was more than that. We noticed that the people in the church were very alive, and you could feel the Holy Spirit in that body of Christ. And just the look on people's faces, their attitudes, and the energy just drew us to the hope. So we went out to hope, and we got involved with a few things. We... I got into one of the Alpha courses that Dave and Chris Stiltz were leading. And uh, during that time, we heard that uh, Hope was going to start a church in our our neighborhood. And we thought, that'd be great. There are a lot of good churches in this area, but we thought there's room for one more. So we got on the planning committee, and uh, we just watched this whole thing, you know, grow. And uh, I got involved in the worship team. I was at the very first service playing bass. And... Still playing bass. Can you figure that out? <laughs> <laughs> That's when you had long hair. 
Yeah. The mullets and everything. No, I'm like, right. Yeah. I had a, you know, at one time it was pretty long. I know. Is, yeah. That was back in the day. <laughs> I wasn't a hippie, but I sure looked like one. Absolutely. So. And you guys have been involved in quite a few things. I yeah, mean, you've we've gotten, gotten involved, involved in, involved in uh, Care Corps. Uh, we're on the prayer team. Yep. We've done some alpha, and we've led and worked within uh, the life groups as well. Absolutely. So, and we thought Hope was a good place to get involved, and we found out it really was. Absolutely. So yeah. life has definitely not been ordinary uh, for you and Pat uh, these past several years. It's been quite uh, the journey, too much to share today, but as much as you can, the, yeah. the Reader's Digest version. Uh, what has the last decade or so been like, and what is life like with everything that's gone on with Pat's health. Yeah, yeah, and it is about Pat's health. And one thing I just want to say that Pat really has a foundation in who God is. She understands who God is. She's been in situations where uh, it's just a miracle that she survived. And if I use the term miracle, she would look at me and say, no, that, it's not a miracle. That's just how God works. Hmm. She was in an accident once where the, her car... Uh, burnt to a crisp, and she was able to pull people out of that car before it exploded. The firemen didn't even bother trying to put the, the fire out. She was on her way back to college. And there were two things that were saved in that car. One thing in the car that did not burn was her Bible, and it was open to a verse. I think it was the first Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares on him, and he cares for you. And then on the outside of the car, the only thing that wasn't burned was a bumper sticker that said, Jesus saves. And that really kind of sums up where Pat is with the Lord. And uh, it wasn't long after we were married, Pat became pregnant. And we were all excited. We told everybody and, you know, got into that. Then some complications started to occur. And so she went to a doctor, and the, some doctors couldn't figure it out. And finally, one doctor discovered that Pat was full of cancer. And long story short, we lost the baby. We almost lost Pat. The doctor said in, within three months, Pat probably would have died. So um, I was angry. I was mad at God. I said, God, why are you doing this? But Pat wasn't. She said, Carter, don't worry about it. God will provide children. God told me, you know, like, <laughs> not verbally. but She just felt in her spirit that we were going to have a child. And so after about a year, we started going through the adoption process, and six adoptions fell through. And a lot of times we were very close, and there was big-time disappointment. And I think Pat was getting a little discouraged as well. Finally, she said, God, I know you said we we're going to have a baby, but really, we're not going to try anymore. If you want us to have a child, you're going to have to drop it in our lap. And literally three days later, our attorney called said that there's somebody that he knows that wants to give up their child for adoption. Are we interested? And Pat said, eh, I don't know. She didn't want that hurt anymore. And the attorney said, you know this is being dropped in your lap, don't you? The exact same <laughs> words she told God. <laughs> so she didn't have to think too long after that. So we, we have a beautiful daughter, and then later we were able to adopt another girl. We have two beautiful daughters, and thanks to them, we have four wonderful grandsons. That keep us going. But the cancer was just the beginning of a downward spiral for Pat's health. And that's, we didn't realize it at the time. We thought, okay, life is going to be good. Well, Pat started developing other complications. Arthritis kicked in, and it's, it's gotten so bad that she needs 
uh, both knees and both hips replaced. She did have one hip replaced because there's absolutely no cartilage and the other joints are getting the same way. But she has arthritis in her ankles, her knees, her hips, her upper back, her lower back, her shoulders, to the point where there are times that she really literally cannot get out of bed. And sometimes I have to help her get out of bed just to, you know, whatever. But, yeah. um, and so it's very hard. She also has fibromyalgia which is really gets her down. And a lot of times she lays awake at night and it might be like two, maybe four o'clock in the morning, she'll wake me up and ask me if I'll rub her ankles or something just to relieve the pain. And uh, sometimes I feel guilty even sleeping. <laughs> but, you know, it's very difficult for her. And Pat is the kind of person that was full of energy. She um, was, a, was a school teacher, totally over the top. Everything she did was just, you know, 110%, even to the point where at the end of the school year, she invited all her kids over to our house for a celebration. You imagine 30 fourth graders in our house. <laughs> it's not the big house. But, you know, whatever. I was a teacher too, but I did not invite my kids over. <laughs> and she, she was a Sunday school superintendent. She led vacation Bible school um, at our church with quite a few quite a few kids. Um, we were involved with Good Samaritan Ministry. She headed up a, a mentoring program where we would go and, and help students in the inner city. Um, we would feed them. We'd feed their families. At Thanksgiving, Pat would prepare a Thanksgiving dinner for all these families, pretty much on her own with, with a little help from me. But, I mean, she'd bake like five turkeys and two hams and all the mashed potatoes and everything. Mm -hmm. And she had that kind of energy. She had a real passion to reach out to anyone, especially children, and reach out to people in the church, constantly praying, uplifting, trying to find ways to help people. She was such a go-getter. I mean, she would do all this stuff during the day, and I'd come home tired from work, and she's ready to go do something else. Mm. But that all changed after her cancer. As the fibromyalgia and the arthritis and many other issues came up, it just got worse and worse where she wasn't able to do the things that she would like to be able to do. And even here, you know, at our church, it's very, very difficult for her to even go anywhere before noon. So it makes it hard for her to even come at church. And uh, a lot of times she misses out on things like weddings, birthday parties, family reunions, and the like because of her pain. She may be ready to go somewhere, and five minutes before we leave, she's, you know, throwing up. And so our friends have learned that if they make plans with us, they pencil it in, you know, and they're very flexible. And a lot of times I end up doing things, going by myself to represent both of us yeah. so that at least somebody's there. But through all this, okay, we've had prayer from the congregation. We've had prayer from friends. Uh, I've prayed for her. We've had a lot of people pray. And the big illnesses have not... Uh, gone away. As a matter of fact, she'll develop other issues from time to time and end up in the hospital. One time she had petechia, which means she had no platelets to clot her blood at all. I think she had one half of a platelet. She's got the record for the lowest number of platelets at Methodist. <laughs> they told us just out of the blue. And uh, a couple months ago, she ended up in the hospital with an, an infection. They couldn't figure out what caused it, but she was there for 11 days. And for a while there, it was life-threatening. And so these things happen all the time, and we don't 
don't know why she hasn't been healed, but we do know that if God wanted to, he would. But one of the things that really stands out is Pat's faith has not changed. Her disappointments, uh, sure, there's a lot of things she'd like to be able to do, but she understands God's in control. And on a daily basis, we pray each day that God will give her the strength to get through the day or whatever God needs her to do. A couple years ago, her mother developed a lymphoma and ended up in hospice. Pat was able, through prayer, to go up and visit her in Story City about three times a week. And when she was in hospice, she was there almost every day. But God gave her the grace, through prayer, to handle those situations. But it was kind of a, yeah. what I call a miracle. <laughs> Pat yeah. said, this is the Lord letting her do that. So, um, the, the prayers, sometimes, you know, I look and say, God, why don't you heal Pat? But Pat understands it's not time. But God gives me what I need each day to get through the day and do what needs to be done. Yeah. And she, even though she's not here at church, I guarantee she's praying for church. She prays for you, John, for your sermon. She prays for the congregation. She prays that the Holy Spirit would be here. Uh, when she can't attend functions, she prays for those people too. And she's been a wonderful grandmother, even when she doesn't have the energy. When those kids walk through the front door, they are like superstars. Yeah. <laughs> and she will has the energy. Yeah. But there are times, I guarantee, when she does this. If we go somewhere or something, there are times that we can't get home fast enough because Pat is in so much pain yeah. that she just needs to rest. But she doesn't let people see that. And uh, a lot of people don't even know that yeah. she has these issues because she doesn't let it affect her relationships. And Carter, thank you so much for your willingness and courage to share that because I know it's not an easy thing to talk about. But I think for all of us to hear that, I'm sure that it resonates with you in a variety of ways. I don't know about you, but that puts things in perspective for us. I'm not rating stories or anything like that, but I think about Carter and Pat. Here's two of the most faithful people uh, walking with God that I've ever met in my life and yet they have the hardest go of it. So we can't say, well, if you would just pray more, <laughs> if you would just have more faith, uh, you know, God only causes bad things to happen to bad people, not good people like me. That doesn't work. So what do we, what do, we do? And I think that's why Carter and Pat's story is so powerful, that they've learned that God is faithful and that we can trust God, even in the tension, even when our questions aren't answered. And so... Just on behalf of the whole congregation, Pat, I just want to, or Carter, I want to thank you for, for both uh, the faith that you and Pat have and the example that you are to all of us. And so I want to pray for you, if we could. And if you could just stretch out your arm, let's just pray for, for Carter and Pat and their story. God, we love you, and we thank you that, uh, that you love us, and that uh, Carter and Pat are your children, and, and God, in everything that she's had to go through, God, we, we pray that she would know that she's not alone, that you are with her and that she has a family here at Hope Des Moines that is with her. Thank you for Carter for sharing their story today. Thank you that you are a God that we can trust. God, thank you that, uh, <laughs> that you're a God that walks with us right in the middle of the pain. So thank you for their story that you've given to them and I pray that you would use it for your glory. And all God's people pray together. Amen. Amen. Let's give Carter some thanks for sharing his story. Absolutely.
you know, we hear stories like that and we think either, wow, that really puts things in perspective or, <laughs> man, I, I have an easy go of it. Maybe things aren't that difficult for me, but I, I want you to know that God sees every single one of your stories and he knows it. And we skip, you know, we, we skip back about 2,000 years and not be standing in the living room there with Pat and standing in front of a grave of a man named Lazarus. We see Jesus right in the middle of this weeping and mourning. He's been dead for three days. Do you know anybody else that was dead for three days in a tomb? And Jesus is standing there, and this is one of his best friends, Lazarus. And everybody's saying, God, why did you let this happen? Even Jesus shows up on the scene and they say, Jesus, why didn't you come sooner? If you would have come sooner, you could have prevented this and you wouldn't have died. And I, we think about that sometimes, and I'm sure that Carter and Pat have thought about that many times. God, if you would have done something sooner, if we would have cut the cancer sooner, if we would... And we ask those questions. And so here's Jesus, and instead of going into like superhero, miracle man mode right away, well, look it up. John chapter 11, what does Jesus do? Look in your Bibles. John chapter... 11. One of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. John eleven thirty five. Jesus is standing there and it says, Jesus wept. You can see why this is the most, the most favorite verse of Bible school kids when they're asked to memorize a verse. I'll take John eleven thirty five, please. And you can also see why this verse, maybe like no other verse in all of Scripture, I believe, conveys the heart of God. Where is God in a natural disaster? Where is God when there's a school shooting? Where is God in the midst of my suffering and pain? Where is God in the midst of a broken relationship and the, the pain that I feel from that in the past? Where is he at? Right there. Crying with you feeling everything that you feel. I don't know if you remember fully God, fully human, Jesus was. So that means that Jesus experienced pain and suffering and loneliness and betrayal and loss. Maybe that's why he says, in this world you will have trouble, because he's saying, I've experienced it. I, I'm walking in your shoes, Jesus says. And then right after that, he says, you will have trouble. And then he says this, and let's read it together up on the screen. John 16, 33. Let's read it nice and loud. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Who can say something like that? There's only one person in all of history that can say anything like that in the midst of our pain, and it's Jesus, because he knew the end of the story. Because he knew, but we didn't know at that time, he knew that very soon that he would be nailed to a cross, and three days later... He would be raised from the dead, kicking sin, death, and the devil to the curb. Amen? And because of that, death doesn't win. Pain doesn't win. Fibromyalgia doesn't win. Arthritis doesn't win. Cancer doesn't win. Your broken heart doesn't win. Jesus wins because of the resurrection. And that's the hope that we offer to a broken, hurting, hopeless world. If you want to know what the, what the, 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 the hope level is in our world, watch the evening news, right? Any night. And you'll know that the world is screaming for the love of Jesus Christ, even though those words don't come out of their mouth. That's what they need. And so instead of offering, you know, playing God and offering these trite little answers, oh, God needed them more than us. Well, you know, God wanted them to get hit by a bus or God wanted that naturally. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. 
He's standing right there with them, weeping with those families. That's the God that we see in Scripture. Yes, God does bring things on. God is in control, and we see that all throughout Scripture. But God's heart is good, and it's for us. He has plans and a future for us. Jesus wins because of the resurrection. And certainly, the war is won, right? We know the end of the story. Have you ever watched a movie, like you have a really favorite movie, and you know the ending, but you just watch the whole thing anyway, right? We know the end of the story, don't we? And it changes the way that you watch the entire rest of the movie because you have the end in mind. And the book of Revelation, we're promised that in the end, when we're with God, in the new heaven and new earth, when he comes back, there'll be no more weeping, no more mourning, no more tears, no more sadness, no more pain, no more cancer. Thank God. <laughs> we know that's the end of the story, so we can live our lives in light of that. And so today I want to leave you with two things that I believe are so important as we live in this tension of an- unanswered questions in life. How do we live between Jesus coming the first time and Jesus coming back again in the middle time, in, in the tension? And there's two things that I want us to remember. Number one is we keep the faith. Everybody say, keep the faith. And we, number one, we keep the faith because we have a God that we can trust, who we can trust that may not lead us into a life with no pain. That's not his promise. His promise says he will walk with us every step of the way. I was trying to think of an example of this, and all I can think of is a three-month-old child screaming in my ear for the last three months, which happens to be my son. And so, parents, you know this. When you hold your child close when they're screaming, the unfortunate thing about that is that their mouth is right here and your ear is right there as well. My child has discovered his vocal cords. Praise God. He loves to use his vocal cords a lot to let us know that he pooped his pants, to let us know that he needs his diaper changed, to let us know that he is starving and it is the end of the world. And I even look at him in the face, and I probably shouldn't do that, but I go, Caleb, are you going to make it? Is it the end of the world? And oh, it's just terrible, you know? I'm not mocking. It's just, you got to have fun, you know? And you look at him and he just screams and his lower lip just quivers and it just breaks my heart. But what gets me through is because I have a perspective that he doesn't. He's wondering if he's ever going to get milk again in his life. He might die if his parents don't take care of him. But what we know is that we're going to get him the bottle. And the next time that he's in need, we're going to be there for him. And then we're going to provide for him again. And we're going to provide for him again. Because we see from a different perspective that he doesn't see with. All he can see is the pain and agony that he's experiencing in that moment. And I remember a couple afternoons ago, he was just screaming. And I just held him up in front of me, and I just looked right at him. His lower lip is quivering. And I looked right at him, and I said, Caleb, I'm right here. You don't have to scream. You don't have to worry. You don't have to scream. In fact, you know what, buddy? I've been here the whole time you've been screaming. So you don't have to be afraid. And I wonder if that's God's message to every single one of us this morning. I'm not just, I don't just come running to your rescue when you need me, when something's going wrong in your life. I've been there the whole time. And I know exactly what you need. And I'm going to provide for you, even if it's with, it, with an answer that you maybe not, are not expecting or you don't think that's what you need. I will always be there for you. I will always be there for you. And I wonder 
if sometimes we think that being optimistic or we think that being hopeful or positive or up, you know, up, upbeat all the time, we think that we can only do that when we're on the mountaintop. But is it possible to know that God is good when we're screaming with pain or we're screaming in our lives with frustrations? And I just wonder if there's anything we learn from the psalmist, from God's story, from Pat Carter's story, maybe hope is born in adversity. Maybe hope isn't just, oh, I have a glass half full kind of mindset of life. God's not offering us a self-help book. He's offering us his presence, himself. And that's better than anything that this world can offer. Maybe hope is born in adversity. And so we keep the faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, keep the faith. No, tell him like you really mean it. Do it again. Say, keep the faith. Say it like you believe it. Number two, we keep the faith. And number two, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. After everything that Carter and Pat have been through with their story, have they stopped praying? A lot of us would have given up by now, don't you think? Well, I guess God's just kind of a distant God who's out there, is not really involved with our lives. No, he absolutely is. And so we don't stop praying. Why? Because of who we're talking to. Andy talked to us a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago about how in prayer we get all worried about the mechanics of it. Oh, did I do it right? Did I say the right things? And we start talking about all the mechanics of prayer. It's very easy to make it into magic. This is something that's focused on us, something that we do. Prayer's not magic. Prayer's not about you, it's about him. And it always has been about him, right? So we pray not because of, oh, I hope I get it right. We pray boldly because of who we're talking to. If you knew that you could curl up on your daddy's lap anytime and tell him exactly what's going on in your life. And he's not going to judge you. He's not going to punish you. He's not going to reprimand you. I would go crawling up on his lap all the time. But somehow we've made prayer this weird thing like, oh, only if I have big issues in my life, then I'll come up and get prayed for. And we miss out. You're missing it, God says. This gift that I want to give you. If you had the opportunity, if you had the opportunity to listen and to speak God's truth into somebody else's life, wouldn't you just do it all the time? And yet God gives us that gift of prayer to talk to him anytime, anywhere, and we say, ah, too busy. Ah, my problem's not really that bad. Oh, I know good things happen, but God, you have plenty of other people praying to you, so I'm not going to bother. It's a relationship that he wants with us. And he reminds us, James chapter 5 16. Let's read this together up on the screen. This is a powerful reminder. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What if we actually believed that? Would your life look differently? What if every weekend, if you've been here before, and if not, every weekend we say, there'll be, there'll be prayer partners up here towards the front. And maybe a few people come up, because I think a lot of us just have this idea that, man, if I go forward, people are going to see that I've got issues. I hate to break it to you, but you do, okay? Every single one of us has issues, right? So we can just kind of throw that to the side. There's no more pretending. Maybe I'm going to come up for prayer because I want to give God praise for something amazing that happened this week. Maybe it's something that I think is really, really little. Come on up and let's talk about it. God says, let's just talk about it. 
And of course, this is just one way that we can pray for each other. But I just have this dream. I know, it's crazy talk. But I just have this dream that one of these days, I'm going to say, hey, we've got two or three prayer partners up here, and all of you are going to come forward for prayer. And, you're gonna, and we're going to go, oh no, what do we do? And all of a sudden, I'm just going to have to commission a whole bunch of you, which I don't really need to do anyway, because I don't have any power. And uh, I'm just going to say, the same Holy Spirit that lives in you lives in me, so why don't all of you just become prayer partners? And all of a sudden, we don't need a prayer team at Hope Des Moines anymore, because I'm looking at them. Wouldn't that be amazing? The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. So don't hold that gift back from people. You can hear the Holy Spirit just as well as I can. You can pray for people just as well as I can or any of our prayer partners. They're ordinary messed up people just like you. They just have a lanyard on. You don't need a lanyard to have the power. You've got the Holy Spirit. So this freaks us out. I kind of want to debunk some of those myths a little bit. So I'm going to have uh, my friend David come up. Everybody welcome David up to the, up to the stage here. <laughs> Speaking of issues, um, no, I'm kidding. This is my buddy David, and uh, David's one of our awesome ushers here at Hope Des Moines, and he does much more than that. But uh, I thought I would use David as kind of my guinea pig uh, here this morning. There are so many, hundreds of conversations that all of you have before and after worship every week. And I want to talk about this in the context of what we do here on the weekend, but everything I'm about to share with you, you can do anytime, anywhere. You do know we're in a school, right? So you don't have to be in a church building, right? You are the church, so you can pray for people anywhere. So let's say that David and I are having a conversation after worship today. And David happens to share with me that he's got really bad headaches all the time. You do get headaches once in a while. Yeah, you do. Um, I just made that up for you. David has really bad headaches. Now, a couple things that I could do, something that we love to do as Christians is say something like, you know, David shares with me that he's got headaches, and I say, wow, that's too bad. And then walk away, right? You know? Or, sometimes worse yet, I'll be praying for you. Thanks. No, I won't. I'm going to forget, right? You know you're going to forget. So why not on the spot, here's what I want to challenge you with today. Write this down. Everybody write this down. If you've got a bulletin, write it down. Grab a pen from the person next to you. There's seven words that can change your life. Can I pray for you right now? I think that's seven, right? Yeah. Can I pray for you right now? Just be honest with yourself because you're probably going to forget. So why not do it on the spot? Why not slow down? Stop thinking about your busy schedule and be present with the person you're with and say, can I pray for you right now? It's not rocket science. It's not magic. So David shared with me that he's got a lot of headaches going on. So instead of saying, I'll be praying for you, I say, hey, David, would it be okay if I just prayed for you right now? Sure. We, we, we worked on this ahead of time. He's got his line down. Literally, 99% of the time, you're not going to get shot down. I've hardly ever asked anybody if I can pray for him, and they say, no, you can't. Like, who's, who, who says that, right? Who says that? So the important thing is just to ask and to leave it open. David says, sure. The second thing I want to encourage you to do, go ahead and go to that next slide. There's just three, three ways. This is not a formula. Please don't see this as a formula. It's just if, if you need a little guide, the first thing I'm going to do is ask. The second thing I'm going to do is listen. A lot of times we try to just rush into prayer, and it's all about our words instead of asking the Holy Spirit to lead our prayer. So I might just say something to David like, we're just going to listen for what God might have to say and what, what he wants us to pray. So it might just be silent for a couple minutes, seconds, minutes. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah. So I'm just telling him that up front so he's not like, did, did he leave? Did something go on? Right? I'm just letting him know that I'm just going to be listening to the Holy Spirit to, to lead that prayer. And anybody can do this. And then 
the last piece is focus. And I know you're going to be focused. What I mean by that is focus on who you know God to be. Focus on God. Focus on his promises, what we know. And so my prayer for David might look something like this. God, I thank you for my brother David, and I thank you that you are God. We know that you're a healer. We know that you are good and that you care for David. All those things I know. All those things we know. God, we know that you love David and you, you want him to be whole and healthy. So I'm not making any of this up. I'm just saying this is what I know from God's word. And then I might pray something like, God, we, we know that you want to heal him, but we trust you. We trust your timing on that. And I just pray that most importantly, he would know that you are near and that you would be glorified through this. And we pray it all in your name. Amen. That wasn't too complicated. And last but not least, we look back up to the the first one and we ask again. And I say, David, is there anything I missed or anything else that you want to pray about today? Now, if he was really spiritual, if you really love Jesus, he'd keep asking. No, I'm (laughs) kidding. No, and most of the time they say, no, that was good, right? And so ask, listen, focus. If you need an acronym, it spells ELF, if that's helpful for you. Uh, Sometimes people need that. But uh, give David a round of applause. He did a nice job. There he is. Here's my encouragement to you today. How many Davids are out there just waiting to be prayed for? Big things, little things. What if today you took the leap of faith? Because here's the thing. For some of you, the biggest obstacle, the biggest hurdle, the biggest growth area in your life might be letting yourself be loved. Think about that for a second. Some of you have been Christians for a really long time, but you walk around with this imaginary wall up in front of you. And whenever you feel slightly weak, or you feel slightly vulnerable, or you feel slightly, I don't have things put together, boom, that wall goes up and sometimes the mask comes with it. And if I'm going to go to church, if I'm going to go to worship, if I'm going to go to my small group, man, I can't, I can't really share what's really going on in my life. What if you could... What if it was absolutely normal for you to come to worship every single week and be prayed for? If you can't remember the last time that you've been prayed for, it's been too long. And there's there's no, nothing more important that you could do with your time when you're with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that's my challenge to you today. And in a little while after we celebrate Holy Communion together, we're just going to Mix it up a little bit today. We're going to do things a little bit different. And in the back, we're going to have some folks that are our prayer partners. And if you want to get trained as a prayer partner, just talk to one of them. They'd love to share with you more about that. If you can't find one, grab somebody and pray for them. So they're going to be in the back if you just need prayer about anything, if you want to give God praise about anything. And then over here on the side, there's a table that's take a prayer or leave a prayer. And what that is, there's some prayers that people have left from our first service there to be prayed for. Take that and pray for that this week. And then there's some cards back there. Just write, you don't have to sign your name. You don't have to get specific if you want to. Just write something, something down. It could be a word or a phrase and leave that back there. And somebody else will take that and pray for you this week. Meanwhile, we'll have the communion stations up front here and you don't all have to come up at the same time. In fact, I'd encourage some of you to, to go back and be prayed for. And the band is just going to play. And we're just going to have a time of prayer. 
We're just going to have a time of confession and just being real. And if you just want to sit and worship and pray silently, that is totally okay as well. We just want to give you that opportunity. Maybe today's the day when Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take them up on that offer today. Take them up on that. Let's stand together.